0: Hello, dear listener. Editor JT here. We're excited to announce that by the time you're listening to this episode, our fall merch drop will be live at deprogramshop.com. Whether you want a little Fidel peeking out of your frocket, a lovingly recreated Don't Tread on Me sticker, or Hakim's patented theory-carrying tote, we've got you covered. The drop is live right now through October 15th, so go snag a hat before they're gone. All patrons will also receive a special discount, because you're our favorite little piggies. Thanks for your support. Enjoy the merch. And now,
1: on to the show.
2: everyone and welcome to yet another episode of The D Program. Today we have a very special return guest for you all the way from Russia, Konstantin. A dear friend of the show, an acclaimed journalist, documentary filmmaker, TV presenter, great geopolitical analyst and most importantly a Marxist comrade. Mr. Konstantin, thank you very much for coming on again. Could you please uh, say a few words about your career as well as... Uh, who you are to our dear listeners so that they can get to know you a little bit better.
0: Uh, Thanks for having me and for such a pleasant introduction. I'm a journalist, Uh, you're totally right, I I spent uh, over a decade or maybe maybe two decades in journalism. I used to be a correspondent at the beginning of my career. And then I worked as a head of the US Bureau, uh, an anchor. And uh, eventually, after I discovered a Marxist, uh, a Marxist in, in me, I quit my job in 2019. Uh, since then, I'm focused on uh, running my YouTube uh,
2: video blog and my social media accounts. Uh, You will find links to uh, all of Konstantin's work uh, in the description below. I very, very warmly uh, recommend this channel. Most of the content is obviously in Russian, so I recommend it to the Russian speakers as well as to everyone else who can survive the uh, half-assed, decent, uh, at this point, in my modest opinion, uh, YouTube uh, translation captions. Uh, But with that out of the way, let's get right into the meat of this episode and what an episode it will be because we're basically covering what I would call the currently uh, biggest topic in the world, which is... uh, The Ukraine war, the Russian invasion, the Russian-NATO war, or the 700 different uh, terms that have been uh, ascribed to that. So let's start with uh, what's been on everyone's mind for the past half a month. And excuse me if I sound like the resident conspiracy theorist here, but uh, Konstantin, do you actually think that uh, Prigozhin is dead? (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I think he is Although I won't be surprised if he's not. (laughs) In the last two years, we kind of, at least here, we kind of got used to uh, living in a bloody circus where everything is possible, even the most impossible things are possible. The most crazy things happen and we are learning to live with it. Keep in mind that we are now talking under I am talking to you under some mild limitations uh, that exist here in terms of what I can and cannot say, especially uh, when communicating with a foreigner. I mean, if I if I if I don't follow the rules, I may very quickly uh, end up in a remote Siberian place, uh, which I don't want to. Uh, and uh, I would ask you to forgive me for that murky language in advance. Absolutely. I, re- I really hope to talk to you again in the future. So uh, the question is, yes, I think what we saw on television and we, what we
2: uh, read uh, in the news was real. I don't think that he is alive. Understood. If so, and I believe you can answer this question without potentially any, any repercussions, uh, without actually saying who you think, might have done it so we're not even going to go into that at all but uh i'll phrase this question this way why now why not like a a month ago when uh, we all know what happened back then why you know the interaction with lukashenko and flying over there then you know uh, constantly flying back etc etc do, do you think it was more of a um, pr move you know give it some time so it's not too obvious uh, is it just because this sort of thing takes uh, or logistical organization. Maybe it's all just uh, a coincidence. And I'm looking too too deeply into it.
0: I think that to answer with confidence, uh, with regards to why now, we need to be sure who did it, and that is uh, still a, an enigma for me. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> could, <laughs> it could it <laughs> could have been anyone. It could could, could would have been anybody but but seriously i think that uh because wagner was uh, such a serious force and and the capitalist state spent such a significant time and effort to build it uh, which is not a secret anymore because of that to dismantle it because there was a change of mind change of plan and uh the line of military command had to be straightened there had to be just one boss <laughs> uh, remaining yeah. uh it could it couldn't have happened quickly immediately after the decision was made so uh, two months is uh, i think it fits perfectly fine the uh, whole uh, agenda the uh, the idea behind behind what we're seeing uh, i mean you can't demolish such a massive structure quickly even if it is already beheaded. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, uh, uh, I I, want to mention that at the time when the mutiny started, uh, the state television, which was obviously covering it, it symbolically called Prigozhin a traitor. And after that, compared him with Pugachev. Mm -hmm. And Pugachev is a a prominent historic figure here, uh, the Cossack commander who started a rebellion against Catherine the Great. But what is even more important, uh, he was eventually captured, uh, tried, and quartered. So that was an analogy that could
2: probably give you a, a glimpse of why it took so long and who could be behind it and i can also additionally imagine just how much uh, logistical effort you need to put into place before cutting off quote unquote the the head of the snake because you know if it's a tiny little thing tiny little organization you know the when the you know when you cut off a, a snake's head it starts squirming all over but when it's uh, what was the name of that uh, gigantic Amazonian thing? Um uh, help me out. Anaconda. anaconda. Yeah, when you when you cut uh, the head of an anaconda and it starts squirming, it can bring down houses. So uh, yeah, two months uh, as you as you perfectly well put, I guess makes uh, makes sense. Actually, when you start inputting all of those factors that you mentioned, then two months even sounds uh, pretty quick. Which moves us kind of into, into the next conversation where, you know, Wagner was very, very popular, if I can use that term, all over the world, but it went into the absolute mainstream. And I think, you know, random villagers in, uh, in India probably know about it, mostly from um, the so-called Wagner Rebellion, which happened earlier this year. So as you, you, someone who was there, and especially a professional journalist and so on... I want to ask you, what was, you know, the scene like at, home when uh, the so-called rebellion started? How did you feel? How did others... Was it a sense of skepticism, optimism, fear or, you know, depending on a person's political compass, uh, all of those. I can tell you what was I was doing uh, to introduce, do, I guess, a bit of levity. I was in a random bar or a club and uh, a Russian friend of mine that I was supposed to be seeing then, he comes to me and he's like looking rel- not disheveled, but he's like uh, you know, uh, kind of skeptically smiling. And I'm like what's the smirk about And he he just shows me the phone I'm like what the fuck is this actually happening (laughs) And he's like I don't know if it's actually happening Nobody knows if it's actually happening So I'm wondering if uh, you know I can He was a relatively decent representation Of what you guys felt So yes please tell us
0: Very similar Uh, I think that was a a very common reaction You probably heard that One of the Wagner tanks was parked In front of the Rostov circus (laughs) Yeah. And I think it tells it all. The feeling was one of an ongoing farce, although a bloody farce. A strange mixture of fear and irony is how ordinary people perceive it. Not only that particular incident, but the whole situation in general. Uh, as for me, uh, we heard that the Wagner c- column is uh, approaching Moscow. There were rumors that checkpoints are being built and firing positions uh, installed. We... Nevertheless, we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> i <Yeah. laughs> I swear you, uh, we couldn't stop laughing because of the absurdity of the whole thing. yeah, obviously, and our comrades in Ukraine know it better than anybody. there is nothing funny whatsoever. But still, it was so absurd. And the mere piling up of that absurdity over yet another absurdity, it, it made you smile. So yes, we laughed, I have to conf- confess. <laughs> Given that I I, I I was in Rostov one week before the whole thing began, and there was no sign of anything approaching. So I, I, I could have caught in this uh, if I decided to stay there for a little longer. <laughs> so I escaped miraculously uh, this spectacle. So, yeah, we decided to get to the nearest grocery store to get some food. That's all we could do. And many other people um, contemplated the same. And An absurdity it was. And when the march was suddenly abandoned, when Putin spoke... On, television and the brigosian uh, team withdrew to Belarus it was like what the hell is going on exactly <laughs> like you describe it what what the fuck was it circus I think this was a circus and it is a circus uh, I think despite all the losses of human life and destruction this was the most popular metaphor uh, on the web and in you know people's everyday communication
2: absolutely that, that, that is um uh very direct picture that you uh, that you paint and I can I can very much so uh, feel it uh, you know resonating through the microphone quote-unquote and as much as sometimes it's uh, feels unnatural to laugh at certain things especially when human lives are uh, are involved in human lives are, are being taken when it comes to such a precipice of insanity and you're like is this as well? Because I remember that my friend was saying like this as well. Like what's next? Like in, in yeah, three, yeah, exactly. Like I I, gonna I was going like, to like, say
0: yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. one what <one, laughs> you're quoting me. I, I was going to say the same thing. Are we going gonna be attacked by alien invaders? <laughs> and <we> <laughs> even that w- won't make us. You know, tremble because we already prepared. You're going
2: to be like, okay, come for some chai. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Like at this point, we don't even care. Yeah, oh, Lord. I can imagine, uh, but okay. Going back from the aliens to the to the illegal aliens, uh, Wagner. Uh, why? Why? Why did they do it? You know, the the Russian military has a perspective on why they did it. The Ukrainians do. NATO does, of course. Uh, uh, they all have their theories. But uh, can you maybe give us? I don't know the main perspective shared in. Uh, Leftist as well as mainstream Russian circles regarding the motivation behind the uprising was it really you know a protest against Wagner being eaten up by the, by the RF military apparatus which is what Prigozhin pretty much correct me if I'm wrong said or did uh, Prigo have bigger aspirations
0: I I don't know if I can speak. Uh on behalf of the whole Russian left movement and I don't even think that such movement exists but uh, from the Marxist perspective I think that we have to always look for contradictions in every matter of fact every event, uh, every act of human life or anywhere we are looking for contradictions and there was plenty of them. I laid out my version, my view uh, of w- what happened on my YouTube channel in the episode of prop, which is my n- news show. I-, I publish it periodically. Previously, it was weekly. Uh, I think that we should not look out for some hidden schemes or scenarios. What the whole thing meant was that there was a contradiction within the ruling class. And it doesn't really matter how we came to that and what caused it. I mean, personally, what were the names and um, institutions involved? Uh, The contradictions are real. They are becoming impossible to hide. And the further we uh, get into the conflict, the more precautions will surface. So it doesn't really matter what happened to this first one. There will be more, and they are uh just an epitome of uh, the contradictions that are building i think that um uh, i don't know if, if we touched that last time but i th- think that we that, that i said already l- a year ago that this war is not a war between russia and ukraine or even russia and nato this is the early stage of another world imperialist war And every imperialist war rises out of a a bunch of contradictions Mm -hmm. uh, within the capitalist uh, society, capitalist world. So I think that looking at this Russian circus, making fun of it, we should and you guys should uh, think of it as an example of what is ahead of us all. You can get a perception of what is awaiting for us in the future.
2: Absolutely. I really, 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 really hope that... uh... Uh, you're wrong in that the contradictions are not uh, as um, close to bursting that it would spill out to uh, an ever greater and ever more consuming uh, conflict to such an extent that it would become a, a world war. But I'm most pretty sure, sure it will.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I hate, hate to say it, but uh, what I was trying to uh, uh, say is that it really has no relation to personalities. It doesn't matter how the two of them, Prigorshan and Putin, for example, communicated. It it could have been anybody else. It just shows that the situation is so strained that the effort and the resources spent are so great, so vast, that uh, it will start breaking apart. The cracks will appear, and the cracks uh, will appear everywhere. Same things are happening in Ukraine. We might not be aware of them, but they are there. And internal uh, rivalry is uh, the reflection of uh, the inability of the ruling class to control the situation. And the deeper we get into this imperialist confrontation, the more rivalry we uh, are about to see. And I'm pretty sure that on a greater scale, uh, similar... Tendencies are palpable in the NATO apparatus, and uh, because they are obviously frustrated, neither side is getting what they uh, hope to th- this war to to be. The 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 d- disappointment, the uh, disenfranchisement are felt on both sides, and this is one of the reasons why contradictions um, uh, become so so sharp and uh, impossible to ignore.
2: So in, in, in the past half a year, we've seen multiple incursions into uh, Russian territory uh, proper. There were uh, three approaches, bombing runs of Russian territories close to contested Ukrainian territory, actual troop incursions into Russian territory, mostly by what the West called freedom legions and so on. And lastly, direct drone hits in Moscow. Uh, psychological warfare of quote-unquote bringing the war to the Russians so that everyday Joes, or Ivans in this case, get a better image of what war their state is participating in. Pretty classic approach used both by states and paramilitary and terrorist organizations for almost a century now. But what's uh, more interesting to hear would be uh, your assessment of whether it's actually working. Uh, is it maybe even backfiring? You know how 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 is the Russian state and more importantly media apparatus uh, reacting to it, uh, and how are they maybe spinning it, uh, if they even are? I don't know exactly how the media apparatus is
0: reacting because I'm I don't have a television uh, smart uh, man TV, <laughs> TV set at home. I, I'm not following everything they are saying. Um, I'm pretty sure that they are trying to uh, make things look like uh, there's nothing serious, that you won't be able to break our will and determination. But in fact, all the attacks and incursions that you mentioned, I don't think that they really have such an impact as, as somebody who planned them I was hoping to achieve Mm -hmm. and not because the Russian television is right and and, you you know the the classes of the Russian society are united around the Russian bourgeoisie and oligarchs and we all feel ourselves as part of one solid nation I think that uh, the reason is an overwhelming apathy within the population like the um, as I said we were not surprised learning that the wagner column is moving on moscow and if it were aliens invading us we wouldn't be surprised either some of the drones sent from ukraine were shut down not far from where where I, I'm, I'm talking to you right now and um although there were some minor minor damages. Or, damages, yeah. yeah, yeah, caused by that. I feel and see that people are mostly irrelevant to, to that that fact. They are not worried at all. Uh, there's no feel of panic, not because people are so so fearless and or patriotic co- courageous, and, yeah. yeah, or patriotic, yep. uh, but because they just do, don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> uh, they are. Uh, so frustrated, they gave up hope of seeing anything changing in their lives for the better. That they they are used to living on on a day-to-day basis.
2: And Such a Slavic be... thing, but actually, generally in capitalism, so it, one does would that say, sound familiar to you? That sounds like home. That sounds like beautiful, warm, dark, gray, a sweet home. desperation. Like absolutely anything
0: may happen. We we what can we do about it? People and it's just
2: not, it, and it's not like nihilism where you're like, okay, like absolutely nothing makes sense, absolutely just uh, ride whatever horrible fire wave is flowing beneath your feet, and wherever life throws you, it throws you. This one is kind of how do I, uh, how do I put it? It's uh, absolutely knowing that things can get better, but yeah. absolutely knowing that they are not going to. You know. That yeah. kind of uh, negativity.
0: Y- y- I can go further. I think that we know that they will get worse, but since we can't do anything about it, and we don't want to do anything about it, and we don't want to because we are not forced by it, by the circumstances of our everyday life, and uh, this, if we take a look as again as as a Mar- as Marxists uh, at at what's going on, I think that the deprivation the problems that we are experiencing on all sides of the front line are, regardless of how serious they are, uh, the losses of the conflict, they are still not enough to initiate the bigger movement of the working class or just of the, of the society in general. There is still a lot to lose for many people. And yeah there it is quite common for many people to think that if everything goes down the tubes, at least I can survive and I can it, it doesn't have it, it doesn't relate to me as far as I know a, a very similar mood is uh in Ukraine, not where the war is like physically present and going on already, but um if you drive. 300-400 kilometers from the front line. It is a petty bourgeois attitude to reality. It It, it is universal. It's not Russian or Ukrainian. And it is still here. Uh, regardless of how poor a particular person is, you can still psychologically be on that position and i think that uh, we are very far from feeling the pain seriously although again the human toll is high it is blood and death and uh, desperation on all sides and everywhere still i think we are not yet close to the levels that uh, we remember from history of the 1914 or The periods when the military conflicts started by the bourgeoisie eventually provoked the outburst of
2: proletarian anger. Absolutely. I mean, back then, uh, the proles did not have their so-called class consciousness completely crushed by the ideology of hardcore bourgeois individualism, consumerism, and the sense that they are not a part of the whole and whatever impacts the whole they can potentially hopefully in some uh, way avoid right up yes. until the moment it comes right in front of uh, in front of their door the lack of a it sense is, it's of like
0: a gamble you're you're always yeah. gambling that it's not going to be me there's no spirit of desperation and i'm afraid to say it because it might be a very unpleasant thing to hear but uh unless you have that desperation in people's minds they won't start doing anything to change the
2: situation and to fight for for their future. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one would argue that especially people from, uh, for example, larger cities and so on, people super engaged in this sort of uh, hyper-capitalist lifestyle of uh, uh, climbing the hierarchy and... uh, Consuming as a form of personal representation of how high you are on the hierarchy, etc., etc., probably got more pissed off about, uh, for example, certain brands no longer being uh, sold in uh, in in Russia uh, instead of you know the actual conflict which is going on, or for example, you know drones literally hitting uh, Russia itself. The, the 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 the. So I mean, this is a, a relatively cliche analysis, but at this point, you know, class class. Uh, identity is completely replaced by uh, by consumer identity and the worst thing you know the enemies uh, can potentially do is impact our uh, day-to-day Comforts, but as long as some of those comforts are there, combined with the hope that even— but no, as long as some of the comforts are there for me, even when I see across the street that you know that my neighbor's house is is on fire, you uh, you continue playing that gamble, as you perfectly said it thinking that it uh, that your house is never going to catch on fire. I mean, I was very young back then, but from all the stories that I hear and so on, uh, people in Belgrade specifically, uh, during the Yugoslav wars, etc., uh, etc., et were living a very, very different life than people uh, on the actual uh, fronts all over. All same over the thing, time. same thing here. If,
0: if you take a walk on the streets of Moscow, you won't even guess uh, that... We are in the warlike situation with our neighbor, as Vladimir Putin said. it, uh, And I think it's similar in Kyiv. Uh, at least that's what I hear from my friends in Ukraine. Yes, it is not that far, and uh, it means that there's a lot to lose. Before uh, people on all
2: sides will start start waking up, yeah, yeah, and that 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 analysis I think can be applied not only to like uh, places uh, which are in conflict. I mean, it can be applied to places which are currently at war most intensively, because one would hope that being in a state of war driven quite literally by bourgeois interests would you know spark a bit more class consciousness which we talk about so much here on the show but even in uh, in bourgeois societies that are quote unquote in Uh, In peacetime where, you know, civil liberties are being pulled away and uh, different even, uh, you know, classic social democratic like uh, privileges are being being taken away. Everybody continues with this same logic that uh, that works uh, so well, unfortunately, even in a in a war zone, which is, uh, you know, it's it 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 hasn't burned me yet. So I'm not gonna complain. It hasn't burned me yet, so I'm not going to revolt. Uh, I'm attaching a cliche to a cliche, but that famous, you know, uh, saying, you know, they they came for the communists. I didn't say anything because I'm not a communist. They came for the uh, labor union guys. I didn't say anything because. Uh, I'm not a labor union guy da, 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 da. They came for the Jews They didn't say anything when they came for the Jews And then they came for uh, me And there was nobody to speak up and so on But this, uh, even though this is like I don't know, a 70, 80 year old poem To this day, actually far more intensely now Because again, ide- ideology Because of the ideology of capitalism Which has been so imp- uh, like uh, impregnated Into the minds of the proletariat Who for some reason think that they themselves Very often are the bourgeoisie Even though they're getting uh, you know railed from the the back every fucking morning when they go clock in, or far worse, every morning when they go into a fucking tank and go shoot at some other guy that uh, is pretty much uh, wearing the same shoes that they are, metaphorically, um, is, uh, you know, still fucking applicable. But uh, don't let me uh, rant on anymore. I apologize. No, you're
0: absolutely absolutely right. This uh, formula is applicable to... Uh, our current reality but i also think that we have to keep in mind lenin's formula of the revolutionary situation and there are two important points uh, we should not forget that the movement starts when the suffering i'm quoting the suffering and the want of the oppressed classes have grown more acute than usual and uh Secondly, when, it, uh, as a consequence of, of the above causes, there is a considerable increase in the activity of the masses who uncomplainingly allow themselves to be robbed in peacetime, but in turbulent times are drawn both by the, all the circumstances of the crisis and by the upper classes themselves into independent mm-hmm. historical action. Nothing of that kind is being on the agenda today. We cannot see anything of that yet, but I'm sure that it's not the end of the day and you mentioned uh, your experience in uh, in in Yugoslavia right i don't know if we talked about it last time but i watched a really cool movie about the history of uh, civil wars in in uh, bosnia and i know, don't know i wanted to ask you if you heard about it it's called uh, beautiful villages uh, <laughs> one of my favorite films of all time oh, you, you know lepa yeah, Fla- Fla- Le lepa Le
2: man You would be right I, in the I was heart dude
0: so impressed with it it I is an incredible piece of art it. Mm. yeah very beautiful and it, it shows the um gradual development of every reactionary yeah. of every single character for every every family of every person uh as the war rages on as more and more homes are consumed by fires and, and it shows the evolution of the society into you know the unspeakable in peacetime levels of hatred and i, I highly advise it. it it I was very impressed by it. who who's who's the director I don't
2: remember specifically I want to lie i, I, I can I can i can, I can check. tell you it's a uh, uh, dragon Biel- Bielogorlic. Ah, Bielogorlic, yes. Uh, he yeah. cre- had a c- career after that, which was very good. I'm a, I'm a fan, and I completely forgot he made it. But I, I think I showed that movie to like five, six people. It's one of the most underrated anti war films uh, yeah. of, of all time. Uh, and arguably my second favorite after uh, Soviet classic, which viewers, if you do not fucking know it, Belorussian more specifically, I'm not going to say the name because you're all supposed to know it. And if you don't know it, you should feel very, very bad. But Hakim, uh, you like now we, you know, gathered guys uh, talking about uh you know, uh, this obviously harsh topic, but uh, uh, here particularly about how, you know, middle class and upper strata, but not only uh, type of uh, bourgeois people behaved during during a time of uh, time of conflict. And uh, you come from a country which had a very recent disgusting war uh, did. Did you see something relatively similar? Even though you know, uh,
1: as in petty bourgeois outlooks, you mean the the
2: the, the guys that were thinking that didn't really give a fuck about what what is mm. going on up until it literally rolled up uh, to their uh, doorstep.
1: Yeah, um I don't think so. I think there's like a very interesting intersection uh between like Slavic populations and, and Arabs is that we share a similar cynicism in general, but. I think the difference with Arabs is it's less, or at least the way it is I've seen in Iraq, is it's a, a, a lot less that people are worried about what's going to happen. And instead, it's the assumption that, oh, yeah, no, no, it's going to get worse. It's definitely oh, wow. 100% <laughs> going to get worse. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think very few people immediately start thinking, oh, this won't touch me. I think everybody will three like and 2003, <laughs> everybody immediately understood this is gonna like the question isn't if it's gonna it's when and how do i prepare for it i I remember that sorry for
2: interrupting you but you have to that um (laughs) uh uh, hakim has a great quote from his dad when uh tell it to our dear guest and uh, and our viewers as well when you when he was watching tv and he saw the twin towers fall
1: Yeah, my my dad basically said something to the effect of like how is going to like he was very somber and said something to the effect of how is going to come back to us <laughs> yeah. essentially something's going to happen this is going <laughs> this going to come fightless in yeah. some way um, yeah. but yeah i think for, for the vast majority of people in this part of the world um the assumption is it's going to get worse and how best to prepare for it should it be that should it should that happen so yeah I, but the difference is i think The Iraq experience is different from the Russian-Ukrainian one because the war was a lot more visceral in Iraq, right? Even in Ukraine, even on the front lines, it isn't as bad as it was in Iraq. Oh, Um, give
0: us some time it's not yeah, the end hopefully it.
1: it doesn't <laughs> inshallah it doesn't get that bad but you never know uh when when two ruling classes are are fighting over some pennies <laughs> the, the infrastructure and people tend to suffer yeah,
0: yeah yeah i i think that we are on the path of the of of destruction of much greater scale it, it's going to be yeah. uh, as as i said this is the very early stage of a major global military conflict it already mm. took away uh, hundreds of thousands of lives i know that iraq uh, was mm. a, a more dramatic story but it, it lasted mm. for uh, over a decade and we are seeing that in a year the mm. uh, the l- level of destruction the uh, military engagement of, of both nato and and russia and its allies is it doesn't have uh, analogies in the m- modern history. It's not like uh, one superpower dropping bombs on innocent population and you know killing people uh, just for its imperialist ambitions. This is uh, the beginning of the big imperialist conflict. It's not like we are being beaten by 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 NATO, and it's not like um, what I'm trying to say. It is although we already see it as a tragedy of enormous proportions it is just the beginning people don't yeah. believe me when i say that but i'm i'm confident this is the beginning and 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 the situation won't stop there we will see another front added maybe more than one front added to it and i'm i'm thinking seriously that uh, it is just a A preface uh, to um, a major military conflagration in Southeast Asia. Because the two centers of capital, two imperialist centers in the world are the US and China. There's no way this contradiction might be resolved peacefully. And we saw it. There were numerous attempts to calm it down diplomatically. It doesn't work because it cannot work. So the only remaining path is a path to disaster, a path to an imperialist war, which is destined to be global. And again, you, you, you are seeing big military alliances expanding. I'm not even talking about NATO, it's Quad. It, it is a Russian-Chinese uh, military agreement, and North Korea and Iran are all there. R- Russian and uh, Chinese fleet is patrolling alaska (laughs) and uh just yesterday the u.s launched its intercontinental uh, missile right after we launched ours it is a very dangerous intersection and i think that it is it couldn't even be compared to all the wars that we saw previously it is uh we are balancing on the brink of a real catastrophe of such proportions that Ukrainian war will uh, fade and uh, look very insignificant in comparison.
2: Uh, I I deeply, deeply hope that uh, you're obviously wrong, as I said previously, and that maybe uh, uh, those uh, capitalist contradictions can be relatively smoothed out at a point at which... Uh, Uh, capitalists inside of these individual states uh, start understanding that the interests of their more general state is uh, below their own uh, need to garner and build more capital, which kind of creates a more international connection of capital, which does not lead to direct conflict because that would lead to less profitability for certain industries while a massive increase of profitability for others. But this is obviously becomes a very complicated conversation and we end up straying away from uh, from the from the main point and obviously it depends on uh, how or if this current, very specifically current uh, Ukrainian-Russian conflict goes, so to kind of st- take it a, a few steps back, uh, you know, your your thesis that this will grow into uh, more and more and more global conflict, more let's, international, more conflict. international. Yeah, let's start with kind of one player that has always been there, kind of uh, you know levitating or whatever term uh, <laughs> I, I could uh, I could use. What uh, and that specifically is. Belarus uh, uh, Most like uh, be it Western analysts or just uh, everyday Joes trying to uh, get what Belarus is doing in these current developments is kind of uh, uh, hard to uh, to understand. Is it just theater? Uh, where does Lukashenko and uh, the interests of his administration uh, stand, and so on? What's your What's your view on basically Belarus's role, Lukashenko's role in in this in this conflict? Is he really you know, as this person? and you know best friends with uh, with Putin or is that relationship uh, a bit more uh, complicated? I think that his best friend is China and he's
0: uh, playing a role of an intermediary between uh, Russia and the West Russia and China and uh, due to the uh, growing political instability inside Belarus, he is more attached to Russia now but there was uh, there were <laughs> very very um visible contradictions between the Russian governing elite and the and the Lukashenko circle in the past up until the people's protests in 2020 um he was very um, very skeptical towards uh, you know moving closer to Russia and uh, now it all changed, but not because Lukashenko changed, because the political situation situation is, is changing. I think that again, uh, Ukraine is we cannot go very far from what I from my supposition uh, that um, this is not an isolated military conflict. It's a part of the bigger competition. And when something is happening in Belarus or Kazakhstan, uh, in Russia itself, it has very immediate and direct relation to the Chinese interests. I see it as a manifestation of the uh, Chinese economic expansion to the West and uh, the the West's very distinct desire to use all means possible to stop it it is it is competition what capitalism is is competition so we are seeing competition through other means and uh, Lukashenko to me he is just a representative of the Chinese capital uh, of of the Chinese he has his own interests obviously but he's acting in this team and what uh, makes the situation similar to the one of the uh, beginning of the 20th century is that the two major camps and two years ago it wasn't so evident now it is evident the camps are solidifying themselves and the, the more and more countries are forced to choose sides it's either china and russia and some other countries in the middle like belarus or iran or north korea or it's the good old west nato the us uh, japan etc so it's very similar so it's it's, it's uh, almost an- analogous to what, what uh, drove the world to world War one and the the reason for that similarity is also understandable to a Marxist because the uh, fundamentals the economic fundamentals of the imperialist competition are unchanged we are often criticized by uh, our opponents here who who are claiming that China is a socialist country and uh, a country of the uh, socialist revolution where proletariat is uh, the ruling class, not not the capitalists. Uh, so this is why they claim we have to be supportive of the Russian-Chinese alliance and uh, all all leftists, either here or in the West, have to be in this camp. But uh, what we, we are seeing is that this is a classical example of capitalist competition. And uh, it is usually accompanied in the era of imperialism. It's, it is usually accompanied, accompanied by an economic crisis. And look, this is exactly what's happening on the world stage uh, right now. The global economy is stagnating. Uh, the crisis of uh, 2008 is not over. It is uh, uh, approaching its, um, its culmination and uh, the only remaining engine of the global economy china is cooling down Uh, usually as we remember should remember from history these two things uh, walk hand in hand the global economic crisis and the imperialist war of the global proportion Um, i see it i'm sorry for driving back to my favorite track but Uh, this is also to me when I look at Lukashenko I I see him playing a very logical tune uh, but uh, that tune uh, also melts into the whole ensemble of the imperialist, of the growing imperialist uh, competition and uh, he's just a minor player
2: Absolutely. So no no matter what someone, uh, particularly be it uh, a comrade or not, uh, thinks about uh, the Chinese system or uh, Russian actions in uh, Ukraine or uh, NATO actions in Ukraine or... Uh, the you know the who quote unquote is in their eyes uh, the beacon of hope in this future conflict or uh, you know the devil incarnate uh, themselves uh, most people kind of have their own camp as you very eloquently put but what's kind of interesting and it was interesting to to most people at the beginning of World War One as well uh, uh, is those certain players that have kind of stayed. Either relatively undecided, or it seems that they are kind of changing their position. I don't know if you've noticed, mostly in uh, liberal states or what liberals would call conservative states, but we all know that you know th- those are kind of the same tent. Uh, have you have you noticed a certain kind of uh, shift? Uh, When it comes to their uh, position towards uh, their official position towards the conflict, I mean, we've seen far right uh, leadership coming into power in Italy after having multiple times. uh, said that they are uh, very skeptic of, uh, of you know, the support towards uh, Ukraine and the war. And then they came into power and that, that tune changed. We know about Hungary's constant, you know, balancing of uh, we're here, we're there, we're here, we're there. Uh, we know what the French far right thinks as well. And far left, uh, Serbia is obviously to like get a mention is, uh, is trying to balance it like always while also selling weapons only to one side. And so, so on and so on. Uh, basically, where my question is directed at is how do you think um, this is going to uh, play out when it comes to these uh, liberal states that are undecided? Is it just going to, you know, be the local bourgeoisie of those states, you know, putting their best bet on whatever player they think will eventually lead them to? Uh, accumulating more capital or are there uh, you know some more uh, reactionary or one could even call them you know social stakes at play here you know traditional allies some realpolitik as uh, as the liberals like to call it I think that it is
0: and it will be uh, going on according to this historical analogy that I already drew like Bulgaria and Romania in 1913-1912 and other smaller countries were stuck between the two major military groups and and major economic uh, camps, Uh, same thing is happening today. And uh, it is very sad for them, that, but yes, they would bet on the most, um, in their opinion, on, on the side that will guarantee uh, their uh, capitals and the, the uh, security of, the, of, the, of, the, of their possessions. <sighs> it's hard to predict where will uh, each and every one of them uh, end up. But look at Turkey again, as you said. Look at um, Serbia, Hungary, and it doesn't matter if you are rightist or leftist. In Spain, there are socialists. There were there were socialists in power up until recently, and they were supporting NATO, not because they are socialist or because they are traitors of the socialist cause, but because this is the interest of the uh, Spanish bourgeoisie and uh, same thing is happening in all other parts of the world look at uh, latin america look in at, at east asia uh, what's going on in vietnam in uh, in thailand with its uh, current uh, turbulence around the prime minister everywhere it, it, half uh, of africa
2: uh, yeah i mean
0: yeah africa exactly africa and everybody is very uh, frightened i think that the elites know exactly they feel at least uh, where uh, where we are going and uh, it's like somebody is being dragged into a meat grinder and uh, it is historically predetermined there's no way you can avoid it. You have to pick sides. You have to choose where you should be. And, you, 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 and everybody understands that if you make a wrong decision, the consequences might be fatal for you. So uh, this is why they are trying to balance the interests of conflicting powers. And uh, they, they don't want to make their bet for as long as it is possible but everybody would have to do that there will be no uh, independent outsiders nobody will be able to watch it from from afar it is the nature of the imperialist war there's no uh, shelter the front line is going to be everywhere so as i said right now we are seeing it when the russian Ukraine is fighting against American Ukraine. I think this formula is close to what I'm trying to express here. Uh, The countries dependent on the bigger imperialist uh, blocs and interests are engaged in fighting today. Tomorrow it will be much worse and more and more actors will be dragged into this orbit.
2: Well to finish uh with this uh thing I hate to this. be so pessimistic but No no, no. Uh, this is on Sometimes what's on this my mind. Necessary. And throughout no, this no,
0: year no. when I, when it all started in February two thousand twenty two I said it is not Russia versus Ukraine, it is not Ukraine Uh, It is not Russia versus NATO or whatever, the Anglo-Saxons as the Russian capitalists are trying to present it here. I said it is the beginning of the major clash of capitalists, capitalist groups, and it's going to be China versus uh, the US in the end, like it was Germany versus the UK in 1914. And Germany plus all the satellites and and, uh, the (laughs) Anglo-Saxons, us all their satellites and and we we we're seeing uh, the same model reborn today it it is still adequate it is still relevant not because we want it to be so uh, but because uh, we are still living in the age of imperialism studied and analyzed by Vladimir Lenin I
1: would add though I think that the I don't think pessimism is the correct word for it Um, I wouldn't Described the situation during World War One as pessimistic. Um, these sort of events, as with as much misery as they bring, also happen to be the kernels or the seeds Catalyst. of the most liberatory. Um, Absolutely, F- F- fully by agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without that, striding forward. Yeah, yeah, you're totally um, right. Exactly right. And and we we need to remember that, as Mao said, with with the first with the first spark around the paris commune it was an insignificant amount of people that fell under sway uh, and allowed socialism to be birthed uh, by the f- first world war it was essentially you know russia and all the states around it and then by uh, after the second world war it was a third of humanity and with the next one hopefully inshallah it will be a far more uh, for lack of a better term globalized <laughs> Movement, Which will allow also um, these, these liberatory projects to go onwards and make new strides and new gains and make up for the time that had been lost since the end of the 90s uh, and the illegal dissolution of the Soviet Union and all the other mistakes that have been made uh, in our history. Um, so pessimism isn't the right word. I think it's a sober analysis um, as to whether it will come to pass or not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, the, and, and, the and, 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 and is desperation
0: prepared. sometimes, as I said, it, it is needed for revolutionary awakening. Mm, and,
2: exactly right. Yeah. You
0: have to have that feeling that there's nothing
2: left to lose, and only mm. that makes you stand up. Yeah, mm. the, the flower of revolution uh, grows from fire. As they said, (laughs) let's, uh, now I was translating like a, like a Serbo the fucking thing. And it sounded so (laughs) fucking cringe in English, but yes, uh, you know, no matter which, which analysis ends up, ends up being correct at the end of the day, it truly, truly is going to be socialism or barbarism. Or in this case, if Konstantin analysis comes to be, it is going to be socialism or death, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Konstantin, for for coming on. This has been uh, a a very, let's call it somber, but uh, necessary overview of uh, something that impacts you and your family very, very directly, and countless of families, uh, uh, be it in the region, but also as we know how you know the global economy works uh, internationally, and potentially will very directly impact people in the future. Constantin, uh, please uh, tell our, uh, tell our uh, beautiful tavardishi here in the audience where they can find your work, and all of the links are obviously going to be down in the description
0: thank you it's all on youtube i don't think that i need to give you some some more advertisement for myself Uh, thank you so much for having me as as always it is is, it is a great honor for me just to know that there are people like-minded people in other parts of the world that are are still willing to talk to us to listen to us and to and and did not forget about the necessity of building the international solidarity of uh, working class people absolutely my brother
1: this has been the program I'm Hakim
0: I'm Yugopnik and I'm Konstantin
1: all gonna die